0: Welcome to the Take Us to the Game podcast, an irreverent and light-hearted look at the world of sport. My name is Richard Baker. I'm joined today by the founder of the Paul Tierney Fan Club, Ollie Scully.
1: Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Not a hint of irony. And
0: from beyond the wall, the pride of uh, Dorset, it's Tom Gibbs.
2: Hello, nice to be here. How lovely to be here, in fact.
0: So before we get onto the main meat of today's chat. We have to touch briefly upon the events yesterday. Uh, did you watch the game, Ollie? How did you find it?
1: Well, I certainly watched it. I, I don't know whether it was a game. It's for a large chunk of it. It appeared to be a training session, attack against defense. And if you ask me, did did the did the best team that played the best football win? Then clearly, clearly they did. Um, does that mean that I don't have a <laughs> Big axe to grind against the against the result. Uh, well, obviously a player that should not be on the pitch shouldn't really be scoring the winning goal. But it was always going to be as soon as um, Tinney had failed to show those two yellow cards to uh, to Laporte. I I said probably an hour before it went in. That, oh, he's going to crop up and head in the not in the winner. And it took, what, 80-odd minutes for that prophecy to come true, but of course it did.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, for all their possession and, and, and dominance in the first half, it did take a set piece to settle it. I, I suppose I, I would only dispute your argument in in that the mistake was the first booking which Tierney misses, and then he books him the second time he does it. I, w- I would argue that that type of professional foul the kind of pulling back to stop a counter-attack. If he's already on a yellow, I'm not sure Laporte does it the second time, but uh, I wouldn't dispute that that both offences did did warrant yellow cards. So that
1: perhaps a, 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 a small axe to grind there. Yeah, I think it would be, what would be interesting, if he doesn't, if, he, if he's already on a yellow, then he has to let him go or he does it and he's gone. You know, so if he lets him go, then, you know, Moore's bearing down on, on goal. Now, doesn't necessarily score, but, know, yeah, that was the way that Spurs were going to score was on the counter. City had obviously talked about it and hatched a plan and that plan was to rugby tackle anyone that that got over the halfway line. Oh, that's a standard City tactic.
0: They've been doing that for years. They even they even talk about it in the All or Nothing documentary yeah. where, where they say yeah. that, you know, that they'll Get stop fouling the attacks that way. Yeah. And I don't think it's just City. I think all the no. all the top teams do that as well it's these days.
2: Professional fouls for a reason.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you did them, but you're an amateur. Yeah,
2: but, you know, that was the love of the game as well.
0: (laughs) So, were you busy watching the League Cup final, or did you find more important sport to watch yesterday, Tom?
2: I watched the uh, League Cup final in general. Um, I was, you know, it won't last long in the memory. I was excited to see fans in the stadium, though. I thought that was great. I was a little disappointed that between the 8,000 of them, you know, they hadn't smuggled in flares, Tifo, streakers and all the other things that we've been missing so much over the past year. So I'll have to hold out for the the final of the snook at the Crucible for that.
0: I I did think when they were only going to let 8,000 in, the idea was that they could then spread out around the stadium. I didn't realise they were going to let eight thousand in and then just put them in two blocks.
1: I just jammed them <laughs> in. It was lovely. It meant it looked quite normal. I'm sure that there was, you know, there's ninety thousand seats, eight thousand of them used. I'm sure there was somebody probably at the Spurs going, "Oh, I got stuck behind that tall bloke. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't, couldn't see it. <laughs> Missed most of it."
2: <laughs> well, it reminded me of when I went to Wembley for the uh, the League One playoff final with uh, with the Overland. Looked about the same.
1: <laughs> I suppose what they were trying is if you're gonna if you're gonna use it as a test event for um um uh, for can you let fans into other grounds. It's not much of a test if you go Okay, you can have eight thousand in, but you're all gonna have to uh, build an extra forty thousand empty seats <laughs> before you can get that many in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. makes you wonder why uh, County Cricket hasn't been able to uh, do something similar yet
1: you at least get a couple hundred into counterground and <laughs> you'd never notice.
2: Depends which YouTube feed you're watching, if there's the millions in that one feed, because the <laughs> <laughs> whichever betting market's blowing up on the subcontinent at the moment.
0: It it did feel like normality is slowly coming back into sport. And another reason why normality is slowly coming back is we have the next sort of major event on the yeah. NFL calendar coming up at the end of the week, which is the draft, which I suppose although it follows free agency does for many fans mark the sort of the, the starting point of the, the new season that will begin in, in September and Tom you've been busy on your typewriter for the site going through and picking for all 32 teams is this the first time you've attempted such an exercise
2: in terms of writing it all down and thinking about it in quite so logical a fashion yes but you'll you'll know rich that there are these simulators out there and so there's three or four major um fan uh sites or statistical websites that use all of their data and the simulators, such that you can fairly quickly throw down pick after pick and use the computer to fill out the rest to play your team and it's fair to say I must have done hundreds of those over the last few weeks, where, you know just I'll just have a quick mock, bash in picks whichever what which team i'm I'm mocking this today, and just going through it just to throw up new names, and then you go away and you take that to YouTube, look up these players that are being picked out by the by the random generator as it were, and actually do some scouting on the basis of it so it works both ways i think
0: so ollie have you had any familiarity with the nfl draft have you ever watched it before
1: i haven't watched it but you guys have you guys have been been talking about it it seems it it seems for months and so um if if even i who do not follow the sport know the name trevor lawrence then he kind of it feels like he must be quite a big deal which is which is weird given that the you know the amateur kid who is, you know, is currently playing amateur sport. Uh, has pop, you know has popped up in my you know kind of sporting, sporting brain. Even though I could probably I don't think I could name any other um American footballers. So that just the and this is what I find quite quite interesting about about the draft that it you know it puts into sort of uh, into the limelight. You know kids that are, you know kids that not not got professional contracts yet. Obviously they're going to. This is what it's all about but um for a chunk of time they are they are the center of you know of what everyone is interested in terms of in terms of nfl the draft system wasn't there from day
0: one of what we what we call the nfl dates from from 1920 um but the first draft wasn't until 1936 before then the teams basically had a free reign of all the best players being available and there were complaints by the lesser teams that the big teams were just hoovering up all the talent uh, and and leaving nothing nothing less left for them.
2: Yeah. Literally they were just driving around to the college playing fields with essentially a a contract and a bit of money and just (laughs) whoever got to the guys first but the thing is they weren't watching any video or anything they were getting off newspaper clippings and going off to these training grounds to get them
0: that's right and the it was the uh, owner of the philadelphia eagles a chap called bert bell who who advocated that his team his team was the worst in the league and he advocated that there should be a fairer system for allocating talent and so this idea was born that they were all going to get together and decide you know who they were going to draft but when they did that first draft they they went to a room and then they put a blackboard up and they literally wrote down all the names of the college players they they could think of and they came up with 81 names and they went through and they did a draft between the sort of the nine or ten teams however many were in the room but actually at that point becoming a professional player wasn't that attractive a proposition and in the end only 24 out of the 81 actually signed contracts including (laughs) uh, not including i should say the guy who was number one pick for the uh, for the Eagles, it was a guy called um, Jay Berwanger, who declined the contract that was offered him and went off to found a plastic company instead.
1: Do you know how successful his plastic plastic career was? Yeah. <laughs> <Well, now laughs> I and mean, in history is the great plastic <laughs> empire.
2: Do, do, do you know the little fact about Berwanger? Go on in his college career firstly he was the first winner of the the forerunner of the Heisman trophy which is the best college player but also during that period he gave Gerald Ford a scar on on his face that would live, live with him for the rest of his life he was playing as a, <laughs> as a linebacker so he scarred a future president as well
1: so is um so do you think there's any danger that Trevor Lawrence is going to say uh, thanks but no thanks I've got my, got myself a cushy job in industry lined up
2: uh, I think not. I think <laughs> I think he'll make he'll do all right. Although they don't make as much as they used to, the rookies. So they changed the the contract system. I think about a decade ago, where um, now actually there's a, quite a tight limit on what you can pay them uh, on your initial contract. Whereas I think about ten years ago, I think a, a rookie got a uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, rich about a, a five year contract up to about eighty million guaranteed, eighty million dollars. Whereas now I think it's down to about 30 million max. And then it sort of comes down as you get further down the picks. So they're cheap. That's one of the reasons why this is so appealing to general managers and teams is not only do you potentially get game changing players, but you're probably saving a bit of money by picking them out as well.
0: Which is so important in the NFL where you have a salary cap. So if you can land a star player who's 21, 22 and cheap, then... It means that you've got all that extra cash available to go and get get the missing pieces around him as well. Because um, what generally happens then, once they go four or five years in the league, that the star players will then, once they move on to their second contract, will earn the mega bucks, you know, the you know the thirty, forty million dollars a season. Uh, last year, Patrick Mahomes signed one of the biggest contracts in sports history, which was worth you know nearly like half a billion dollars over ten years. So yeah, very important that teams get it right this time around which is why as gibbs said you know 85 years ago they just looked in the newspapers uh some didn't even do that um uh, but now scouting for the teams is an enormous enormous business uh and and fans get involved too with their with their own their own take on it
2: i think i made the point in the article you know that's pretty exciting for fans because they can sort of Essentially, try and show that they know exactly what they need to do to their team, how they fix the 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 shambolic season of the previous year. I mean, if imagine if you Tottenham had the the option of now completely cutting half the squad and rebuilding completely with you know just a few bits of luck and a few wise picks from an
1: entire academy class, you know that'd be pretty attractive, right? Nice. (laughs) It's pretty much exactly what we do need to do. It's just that. (laughs) Just that we can't go and go and find any any of these players on the cheap. Everybody knows that we need to do that, and so we're gonna have to, even a COVID market. We're gonna have to pay pay top dollars to do it. One of the interesting
0: elements of it is that it really brings to the fore the role of the general manager, which is very distinct from that of the head coach in the NFL. Whereas the head coach is very much responsible for on field operations and you know how the team plays the general manager is really sort of the hr director of the team so the general manager has to get the picks right but he also needs to think about the style of the player that the head coach wants which means that you know the best teams tend to have head coaches and general managers who are very much in lockstep, lockstep. garbage can teams tend to be somewhat different
2: yeah and well so there's there's essentially two types of general manager as well there are the accountants who do who happen to be quite good at making contracts making the salary cap fit uh, getting their uh, their value together and then there are perhaps the more the scout types so there's those who you know who think you pull together a team of scouts well they identify what the team needs most effectively and actually if you can get one that does both that's pretty rare i think so general managers have a pretty short shelf life for the most part because you know, it doesn't take long for the patients to go. And that's an easy change to make is the guy who's either balancing the books or pulling the talent together. It's not a bad way to show you a powerful owner who can make a bit of difference.
1: So it's the, it's the role of the general manager, broadly akin to the, the, the director of football role within a, within a football club, more more concerned with recruitment than um, than sort of day to day. You know, training the training the team. Is that a fair kind of comparison? I
2: I would think so, but I don't know of many directors of football who've had their job description very well defined either. And you know, I, I, you know, the, maybe the Bayern Munich kind of style version works best, where that you know they are sort of quite a lot of the club's representation behind the scenes. Yeah, I get it, but at the same time, the the GM in NFL is very much more visible, very much more front and center. part of that you know who's going to be sat next to the new signing it's the GM not the head coach for instance on the press conferences I don't know what you think about that one Richard yeah
0: I think it's it's a very high profile role more so perhaps than director of football I think most fans are aware of who their GM would be in a way that their director of football perhaps less so and, and perhaps the draft is one of those reasons because it's very much the day or the days of the year where the GM and, and or the GM office, as they refer to, because the, the GM will have his traditional scouts alongside him, plus in the kind of the modern era, a lot of kind of the data analytics folk as well that's become part, part of the game. But they're, they're really front and centre over, over the, the three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I would say that, it's not always been this, this much of a, a showpiece. Up until 2015, the draft took place in New York every year. In, in its early years, it used to take place behind the scenes in hotel hotel rooms. Then it became more transparent, but it was in New York every year. And then the, the NFL had the inspired uh, decision to, to take it out on the road. So to name a host city and really make a, a three-day extravaganza off it. A real sort of media jamboree and it's really pre pre-pandemic grown from strength to strength
2: and this is kind of the point of it really because the nfl season maximum five months even if you go all the way you know even less if you don't make the playoffs and there's no other professional american football really going on out there you haven't got you can't look forward to the, the the nation's league in the summer to fill it out a bit no, that's it so you've got this sort of huge chunk of calendar where the NFL doesn't actually provide anything to its fans on paper, but actually it does. So it's got but centre of that sort of seven month period, the draft, and all of this media fanfare around those three days, but then all of the media hubbub about how that's gonna go, all the trades are gonna go, who's gonna pick who. It's essentially um yeah, it's everyone's free for all about, you know, how teams are gonna sort themselves out. And you know, it's fun. It's just straight up fun playing a part of it with a with a fan base.
0: And the ECB really embraced that fun with the hundred draft, <laughs> <laughs> whereby was it one player was selected every half an hour, starting at seven o'clock in the morning?
2: No, was no, it... you forget. It wasn't one player at a time. <laughs> Occasionally, they just released a batch of them <laughs> by random team order. Yeah,
0: it's all the glitz and the glamour, but. I mean, other sports have drafts. Other sports have attempted to replicate the draft. None have really succeeded. Why is it, and you touched a little bit on that last answer, but why is it that it works so well in the NFL?
2: Well, I, I think it is, um, yeah, I, I think i build built on what I said there. I think it's actually a really great way to engage your fan base with your team, which, if nothing else, and they could be the worst team in the whole NFL, and trust me, I know about that, Uh, but you can still have a really strong opinion about it, and it can give you some hope, because you can actually go away, and you can think about, well, these players that they're picking, the ones I'm going to see next year, are actually, you know, going to be great, and uh, I I can see what he's going to do in our team, or I can see, that's a terrible idea, it's horrendous, you know, and boo them to the heart's content, but still, you're actually really
1: engaging with the whole thing. So that was one one question I had is, is how how much impact do these do these guys that that are that are drafted into into teams how much impact do the rookies tend to have So the you know the bottom bottom team gets gets first pick are those picks sort of are they ever genuinely sort of transformational can they can they take a um, take a team up you know into into playoff positions that you know you know from 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 first pick.
2: I would argue yes. I don't know about you, Rich.
0: I would argue no, but you go first.
2: Okay, thanks. Uh, well, <laughs> well,
0: well uh, we don't have to
1: agree. Okay. Uh, no, no,
2: don't. don't it. But you, Rich so, thinks it's a whole, you all, this me, you things a go. waste of time. <laughs> yeah. You're going to let me have a go first so you can pick it apart, right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I think if you get it right, you can find someone who can genuinely. Uh, turn a really poor team into someone who can get to the playoffs and if you can get to the playoffs you're essentially in a, a cup system where you know you can chance it through to the end, I mean I get that and the difference can be one player, particularly the quarterbacks they are such essential components of an NFL team um, it doesn't happen very often I'll absolutely grant it but you know, it's not also the case that you just have the one pick in the first round that you're pinning all your hopes on most teams will aim to have starters from their first three rounds worth of picks. and if they've traded around a bit, they might actually have four or five picks in the first three rounds. So with that, then you've got five starters ideally, if you don't really well. that's half of an offense offense or you know two on defense, two on offense or on a special teams or whatever however you're going to break it up. but actually that's quite a big impact on thirty three active starters. It's a big chunk.
0: So I think the NFL has taken a bit of a, a kicking over this side of the pond in recent weeks and perhaps, you know, rightly so when people are looking at league structures and the rest. But one thing I would say I really like about it is, is there's no other league set up for parity in, in quite the way the NFL is in terms of, you know, you have each, each team has a salary cap that they have to work within. Then you have the draft, you know, the worst team last year gets the first pick of, the, of a new player yet consistently you have some teams that are always towards the top and some teams that are always towards the bottom. And I think the difference is the the top teams just do a better job of longer-term planning around their, you know, their personnel, who they build their team around. And I think there becomes a, a, a almost a fantasy amongst the worst-performing teams that if as long as they're bad enough one season and get that high enough draft pick, then this guy will come in and be the saviour. Trevor Lawrence is, by all accounts, a you know era defining talent you know people say that it's very hard to pick players that are going to absolutely succeed but lawrence is one of them yet he's going to a team that won one game last year similarly there's other teams towards the top of the draft that have chased players i mean tom's team the new york jets were in this situation only three years ago where they picked up a quarterback called sam darnold and and three years later you know he was moved on and, and they're through the process again there was a chap who went very high last year Joe Burrow to Cincinnati again, like an amazing talent in college football. People were so excited to see him play, but he just got killed because the guys around him weren't up to it, and he was just getting battered week in week out. And ended up he didn't complete the season. He left with quite a severe injury. So I think that it's important to draft well, but there can be this feeling that if only we get this pick right, if only we get this new bright young talent in, then everything will be sorted out. And I think actually no. the the way you build a team is much deeper than that
2: so so we can agree to compromise then we're in the middle so i'm agreeing with you not one pick is going to make the difference but one draft worth of picks could make the difference
1: absolutely that, Sorry. sounds like one draft of good picks
2: yeah questions
1: do you get well well
2: this is where rich is right obviously actually what's really important is whether your organization behind all of that is actually worth the worth it you know in in terms of how it runs itself how it's coached and so forth and that is absolutely important
1: because presumably to be down in that first pick position if you're down at the bottom then there's got to be some other bits of you of your team setup that have not really been firing that well either you know your other recruitment your other coaching your other game management probably not the not the best yeah otherwise you won't be down there
2: or you've traded some players or some other stuff to get there you know and look at San Francisco they got the third pick this time they're not a bad team by any stretch they're ready they were in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago um you know they've still got a lot of that squad there they've they've spent some capital as they call it to get the third pick because they want to make a, as much as they can of where they are right now so they've traded a bit of the future to extend the present as it were
1: and so off that, they go so how do, how does how does this work you, you both mentioned this a couple of times that they can sort of trade positions what so you
2: can say okay well I'd, i and i won't go to the specifics of san francisco but you can say okay you've got the number one pick i've got the number 10 pick uh i want the number one pick you can have my number 10 pick you can have my pick next year in the first round you can have my second round pick this year you can have my second round pick next year and the one after that and you can say okay that all of those picks will get me to that one pick at the top now for instance nice. or you could throw a player in there but you couldn't, and uh, you know, you're not going to start throwing in, you know, half the cheerleading squad or something like that. <laughs> right. I don't know, maybe they should.
0: <laughs> I don't think the cheerleaders are up for a trade capital at this point. <laughs> but well, it's what makes it quite a very compelling television on the night. Now, quite a lot of the trades get done in advance. So you already know, for instance, that San Francisco moved up to the, that number three pick. But quite often, as the draft is developing, they will announce that such and such a team has traded their pick and that can sort of throw a spanner in the works into all of the planning that people have done beforehand of assuming that this player is going to this team at this certain spot because suddenly there's a different team and then that just throws the draft order completely out Mm. of whack
1: someone else who's in the market for uh, a quarterback is suddenly ahead of you in
2: the in the
1: draft And and you thought you had your enough quarterbacks lined up that you knew knew who you were going to get yeah because you think that well we need a quarterback but the two teams
0: ahead of us they've got they they've already know. got great they've already got great quarterbacks so they're taking something else so we're happy here yeah. and then somebody else jumps up in that spot and is like, oh crikey they're taking quarterback <laughs> now
2: <laughs> yeah and so in, in my mock mock draft I've only put two of those sort of on the night trades and uh, that's down on previous years and I think that's something uh, I'll keep an eye on that's that's a trend for me to observe And the reason for that is because this year, COVID has meant that the colleges have played vastly reduced schedules. There hasn't been sort of the the scouting process pre-season that there often is, some of the contact on that. So I think my personal assessment might be that everyone's a bit more of a gamble than they might normally be. And therefore, I'm not sure teams are going to be sort of trading the family silver in to get the player they're absolutely certain about because they just don't know this year. We'll
0: see. Going back to an earlier point around why why this works so well in the nfl i think one element of it is that the, the college football is so popular um college football is actually when you spend time in the us probably even more popular than than the nfl people know people know these players as household names they're they're superstars before they even make it before they even earn a dollar from playing the game They're they're already superstars so there's this huge excitement to see you know what team they're going to go to you know which which players they're going to be paired with etc and then the other thing about it is that for all of the analysis both professional and amateur there's still an enormous out range of outcomes in how these careers go whether it's due to talent fit sometimes mentality you know sometimes they just don't adapt to the professional game but it's really difficult for anyone to truly say that such and such a player will be a great professional, no matter how good they've been in college.
2: Yeah,
1: the, the sort of
2: the the rundowns of the greatest busts, as they call them, are almost as popular as the rundown of the greatest picks of all time.
1: So, do you think in this in this year's lineup there are some people that you think might be might be a bit overhyped? Any of those names that you did in your um you draft think they might yeah. might get might get picked, but. But might crash and burn. Yeah,
2: I mean, even without sort of picking on people on this year, you know, you just know statistically, what have I said? Six quarterbacks going in the first 32 picks, the first round. You you could expect maybe half of them at most to get longer than five years in the league, maybe just based on recent form. And so what what do you want to define a bust as? But there will be absolutely maybe a quarter of the 32, who don't even get really through their franchise. There's one player last year, Isaiah Simmons, who went to the Tennessee Titans, left tackle, is already out of the professional game after one year. You know, mm. just absolutely failed in every sense. So
1: at that, at that point we touched on a bit earlier. You've got the dynamic of the uh, of the head coach and the uh, and the general manager. Have you got got your head coach going? This guy, he told me he was going to be awesome, but <laughs> he's not. He's not even a player these days. He's, he's not even on the team. You know, do those kind of bust ups, you know, occur in the in the uh, in the team leadership?
2: Yeah, presumably. I mean, we've all seen moneyball, and I know that's baseball, but you know, the head coach, uh, general manager relationship in there's not too healthy. And you can just imagine it. Where where are you gonna where are you gonna go? But ultimately the GM holds the holds the can I suppose it's most interesting for the Patriots where the head coach is the general manager in Bill Belichick he does both so he's got no one left to blame
0: and of course on the Dallas Cowboys Jerry Jones is both the owner and the general manager so it's the only case in where where the owner of the team has decided that uh, he's going to be in charge of all personnel moves gonna write the theme tune too (laughs) more or less
2: Pretty much, I, you know, he's a genuine wild card. Who knows what he's going to do? And there's quite a lot of interesting rumour going around at the minute that he's going to do something crazy come Thursday night.
0: But I would like to be a fly on the wall in some of these head coaches' houses because they, they don't all go to the draft room. They're not necessarily present on the facility. They watch it like the fans do, and they might get some inkling about who their team's going to pick, but in a sense, some of them are, are, are as in the dark as we all are. <laughs>
2: I think for the vast majority, though, they'll have been part of the scouting meetings of at least and have given, you know, this is how my team, I, you know, this is how, the kind of coach I am, this is how I'd like the team to play, roughly. But as you know, just sometimes you're going to get some wild cards thrown in there. Here's this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He says he's George Ware's cousin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think there's been one one German player selected in recent years, uh, Maurice Boringer who I don't think has ever made it into an NFL game, but he did get selected in the draft. They famously called the uh, the last person to get selected uh, of the seventh round becomes known as Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah. Mr.
2: Irrelevant.
1: <laughs> are, there any, are there any famous Mr. Irrelevants that have gone to star studied careers? So
2: there was the, the one last year in Sub- Super Bowl, wasn't there? He was a punter, was he, or a kicker? I forget now. I'd have to check it out. But the, 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 Yeah. Uh, mate, yeah, was on the Super Bowl for a start. <laughs> it's not bad. It's, it's not bad, you know.
1: It's a game of football I've heard of.
2: Well, there are 299 <laughs> rookies picked in a year to actually get that far. Not bad. And and
0: and, and you know, hundreds more will then get picked up after the draft as yeah. what they call undrafted free agents. It's a pretty harsh moniker on somebody <laughs> who's just achieved their dream of <laughs> making it <laughs> to professional sport <laughs> to then just get branded as irrelevant for the rest of their career but famously uh tom brady all those years ago he wasn't a first round pick he was picked up in in the sixth round uh and he famously was, has you know, had as a uh, not badge of honor sort of one of those things of adversity to overcome you know the, the fuels the fire they didn't pick it's, me first
2: he's crossed a bear
1: <laughs> absolutely mm. start yeah, just thinking yeah, we could have, <laughs> we wasted a few picks that year, didn't we? <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, yeah, everyone else wasted 198 picks. He's 199. he could say. But at the same time, when you get down to that sort of distance, sixth round, you are absolutely in roulette country. And that's why I don't think he's the greatest pick ever. That sounds really harsh. Because of course, he is the greatest pick ever. Yeah, but it wasn't even, done
1: with any it insight. It was, yeah. a, it was a punt and... Um,
2: New York didn't think they were yeah. going to get a guy who's going to win six Super Bowls. That's uh, why New England didn't think that. So, you know, fine. Whereas you look at someone maybe like uh, Joe Montana, uh, who was picked in the third round, that, you know, that's some skill. If you can do that, given that they traded away the first pick, that was 1979, I think. They traded around the uh, traded out the first pick that year to get OJ Simpson into the squad. Not a bad player. Bad player. <laughs> <laughs> Less good as a husband, but, you know... <laughs>
0: i think, think we politely say off field
1: issues <laughs>
2: yeah yeah yeah. And, uh, yeah not a bad actor either um yeah, i
1: think his greatest work was in naked gun two for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> anyway 49ers got and picked him up with their first round uh number one pick and then you know waited it out to the third round picked up joe montana not bad
0: there is an element that i think you'll quite like ollie one thing they do is they invite most of the top prospects to the draft itself so they'll be sat there in the audience and as they get picked they get called on stage uh it's a tradition that the commissioner of the league gets booed roger cadell (laughs) whichever city he's in um and then and then as they get picked they'll go up and they get given the shirt and 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 then do the photo op but all the players that haven't been picked and thought they might have been are there too and the camera (laughs) (laughs) Will <laughs> frequently pan in on this poor 21 year old having his hopes and dreams crushed.
2: God, it's, it's embarrassing. And if it doesn't quite go as they expect, especially for the guys at the very top. So I remember when Sam Darnold was uh, the Jets quarterback, he was actually widely tipped to be going first in the draft. And top of the draft pile that year were the Cleveland Browns. And Sam Darnold was wearing a brown tie <laughs> for the ceremony, <laughs> ready to go. And they passed on him. They absolutely passed on him. He ended up at the New York Jets.
0: Of course, yeah, they went for Baker Mayfield instead,
1: which yeah, probably rapid. wasn't probably wasn't a bad decision in hindsight. He's left just changing his tie on his walk to the stage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: having having delved into the weeds on this and spent hours on YouTube, and, and maybe learning a bit more about some of the players that you might have done otherwise. Who who you, are you excited about? seeing picked that maybe the less uh, engaged fan might not be aware of
2: so i like oh sorry i don't wait nearly as much as most of the american commentators the measurables as they call it so the almost as soon as they've said a name you know when they're talking about people they'll give them their height their weight probably the wingspan as they call it for a defensive player how long their arms and all that and i like the players you know, I just don't. I don't see the necessary relevance. Actually, I don't want technique and skill. So there's some players out there. I like a guy called Jalen Darden. Um, he's a wide receiver. He just likes cutting and past people. You know, that's not a. That's not a measurable. That's just a skill, right? Um, I also like the the guys who come with the attitude that maybe means that. You know, that I think they're going to really um, develop very really strongly. There's a guy called a linebacker called Derek Barnes from Purdue. Who I think is going to be a steal down the, down the line. And, of course, we always like a good, you know, special teams player. And, you know, they rarely actually get drafted at all. Most most of the times they'll just say, we'll pick you up in undrafted. You know, sorry, uh, uh, undrafted free agency. But you've got someone like Legatron or Rodrigo Blankenship. <laughs> I know a personal favourite of yours, Rick, last year. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, uh, you just got picked up at the end of the draft. Very good. Uh, you know, and he's worth, you know, 10 points a game for the Colts. And this year, there's a guy called Jose Borregalas, kicker, that I would like to see get drafted. I think he's good enough.
0: If you go to one website tomorrow, go to take us to the game. But if you go to two websites, <laughs> then visit Rodrigo Blankenship's personal website. Uh, you, you won't be disappointed. It's amazing. We, we've established that it works incredibly well for the NFL. Where else could you see a draft working, Ollie? Is the Is County Cricket crying out for something similar?
1: Well, there's, there's an interesting thing about how you're how you bringing talent into, into county cricket um, post-Brexit post in a way. Because I think you know, counties have sort of relied upon being able to go out and find some, um, find some talented South Africans and bring them under, in under the coal pack arrangements. And kind of a lot of, lot of counties have bolstered their squads um, in that way. And, you know, Bob's that's getting harder and harder. And I think there's a few few counties that managed to sneak a last few crop of players in this year. But I think, you know, that's probably the last time they're gonna be able to do that. So there's gonna be a um there's gonna be a challenge for those counties to, to get a you know, to get a good pool of, of new talent into the into the first team. And yeah, they maybe need to be thinking about who is that who is that second tier of of county cricketers. And how can they make sure that the talent all stays in the game? Because you're not, if you're playing sort of seconds County cricket, you're not earning any money at all. You're doing it for the love of the game. And so there's going to be some talented guys that drift, you know, drift out of the game before they, or they really, really get, get a chance to have a career and have a chance to really develop into, uh, into professional cricketers. So it'd be very interesting if County cricket could find a way of, um, of actually putting together a decent standard of kind of seconds cricket and make sure that all the all the talent that's in that uh, those kind of more more junior ranks actually stays inside the game and gets a proper run in a in a first team even if it's not their own county and you can think that's the danger if you don't progress into your own county's first team you know some people get picked up by other counties and get traded around but that that isn't such a common route, right? and I think the counties have not been great at, at doing that necessarily over the years because it's been easier to find, um, you know, guys from overseas that have been playing a decent standard of cricket, and they kind of just been a safer bet. So it'd be interesting if you could have a like a, a draft into the into the first teams from a from the second team, second division from the the second eleven. The other area I think that uh, the sport that could benefit from a draft would be. Uh, Football, football managers. Right? <laughs> football managers is a current, you know, it's, it's a merry-go-round with a you know handful of names. Um, why not formalise that process by saying right, start of every season, uh, team that comes bottom gets every every season. Every season, yeah. Right? You know, why perpetuate the same uh, same club at the top for you know for two or three years, the same group of players, same manager. You know, we know what's going to happen over the next. Next couple of seasons until a crop of players dies off. So why not um, why not randomise it and uh, and let the uh, let the bottom team have first pick of the managers and then we'll just see how good the uh, you know the the Guardiola's are if they have to, well,
0: have nothing,
1: to cobble together a uh, nothing else. It would make United
0: press conference is interesting, especially when a manager turns up at a club that he's been slagging <laughs>
2: off for the last <laughs> five years. Steve Bruce getting drafted into Liverpool.
0: <laughs> tom are you going to be staying up all friday night
2: i am seriously tempted so i need a little little chat with the uh the employers tomorrow but i might take friday off yeah it might work out
0: <laughs> excellent over under on how many picks you get right
2: uh i would be happy with 25 percent hits
0: eight out of 32 well yeah we'll make That'd a note be- of that I'll be,
2: I, uh, I'll be really impressed with myself if I get that money. to be honest.
0: Ollie Tom, thanks for your time.
2: you very much. you hey, welcome, thank you.